And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jay Wall, RB, serial killer. No gene this week, which is unfortunate. We'll get to that in just a minute. Boys, we've got, oh man, we have something that I think is going to change Fully Equipped. And, and you might be out there listening right now, rolling your eyes, saying, Jay Wall, you're, you're just, you're trying to build this up. But I am here to tell you that the Fully Equipped Hotline is going to become a thing. And not only oh, is it going to become a thing, traction. yes, not only is it going to become a thing, this is, this is probably going to, to become the biggest staple on this chair podcast. So if you didn't know, last week we announced the fully equipped hotline, which is essentially just a, a general mail voicemail box where you can call in, you can rant, rave, ask questions. Uh, we handed out the number last week. That phone number for those of you that didn't get a chance to call in is 602-935-4974. And I expected to probably get, let's just say, I expected to get like five voicemails. We got way more than five. And not only that, we, we got some bangers in the first week. It took It took me a little bit of time to get these put together. But we're gonna we're gonna play five of them this week. You're gonna have to wait around till the end of the pod, or maybe if you're impatient, you can fast forward. But I wouldn't fast forward because we do have Kent Notes, who is Ping's tour rep, and I had a chance to chat with him. Now that Victor Hovland is an 18 million dollar man, and we went through Vic's bag in great detail, so we're gonna have the KO interview in the middle of the podcast. So make sure you hang around for that. But. The fully equipped hotline is going to be great. And oh, by the way, the best part about the hotline is I'm the only one who's heard the questions this week. So Serial Killer and RB are going to be listening to these for the very first time and offering their on-the-fly reactions. Love Serial it. Killer is shaking his head. He knows it's going to be great. I'm looking I'm forward excited. to it. This is, this yeah, is going to be fun. Yeah. This is kind of one of those things where, you know, the anticipation, I hope, will, will lead to some interesting answers and interesting questions. Yeah, it's very much like a like a like a prototype golf club. We hope it works. We hope the ball gets in the air, but we can't make any promises. <laughs> Normally, you test uh, prototype clubs with a robot, and Gene's not here, so you know. Gene's Gene's not here. Gene's our north star when it comes to all things robotic. But yeah, he is not here to help us out today. I'm saving the gene questions, by the way, since he's not on, I'm saving them for next week. Oh, those have there to are, be. You there gotta are get, some, gotta there are some gene that... admirers out there. Ooh. Way more than I thought. There, there anything that could help his, his dating life that's been rather stagnant as of late? I think he's got a girl now. Oh, what? Yeah, I think he's dating. He's, he's we'll take this part off. That next week, but I'm pretty we'll sure, this he's, part I'm pretty sure he's, got, he's got a, a girlfriend now. Oh, RB, you can't cut that out. I mean, it, people want to know. People are invested. He shared, are, the, he shared okay. the speaker story with us. People are invested. Oh, in- there was some speaker talk in the voicemail. There are a lot of people that were very happy for Gene. But I don't want to. I don't want to spoil those. We'll save. We'll save the Gene ones for next week, just Fair. so we can make sure his ego is is uh, is absolutely inflated before we throw a couple of haymakers towards the end. But anyway, mm. stay around for the full capot line. It's the first time we're going to be releasing it. It's going to be glorious. But I have a couple of things I want to discuss with you. So as I mentioned, Victor Hovland is your tour championship winner. He, like a lot of guys that have won the FedEx Cup in the past, just went on an absolute heater during the playoffs. He didn't play all that well in Memphis, 
he shoots 61 and wins BMW. And from there, you could just kind of feel it. It's just like a snowball going downhill, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And he just absolutely laid waste to the field at Eastlake. And, you know, RB and I, mostly RB now, we were just talking about this. You know, he does our winner's bag on golf.com, which is just, it's a highlight of of all of the clubs in the winner's bag for the week. And, and he's usually on Sunday when his kids are ready to eat. And RB's posted a couple memes about this on his social media account. But yeah, it's 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 always a juggling act, RB. I don't know why of all the sports, they like end it at the same time. And it's like, it's an outdoor sport. And like, for some reason they pick the worst, sometimes they pick the worst places and the worst times to do these things. And I, everyone loves the open championship because it finishes like three o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. And sometimes even earlier, whereas you're in the middle of summer, people are doing all kinds of stuff. And, you know, they're, they're cutting into your afternoon and most people outside anyways, the only people like, you know, we can complain about golf broadcast all we want, but, uh, Yes, you know, five o'clock on on a Sunday with two children under the age of seven running around is a is a a complicated time sometimes. Now, thankfully, Big Vic was uh, Big Vic was rolling. So let me just tell you, I cracked the cold on Saturday night, and I just got down to business. So Sunday rolled around, I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> so I'd we like call to thank the winners bag jinx. RB yes. is known to like build these these winners bag files, and it's about a coin flip. If, if the winner's actually going to end up being the guy that he's writing about. So far, uh, Brian Harmon, thank you very much. Made that very easy. Uh, no, the other one is Victor this week. I'm trying to think there was another one too. Oh, Ricky. Ricky at the Rocket Mortgage. Now, when he blew that driveway right, I think it was, on uh, on the final hole, I was a little worried. I was like, oh, crap, Colin's going to come back here. But thankfully, he, he made a couple really nice putts. And I didn't have to to scramble on that that Sunday afternoon, but you know what? That is, it's just it's part of the gig, it's part of the job, and uh, you know, happy to do it because I know a lot of people are always asking what's in the bag of, of the the players that win, and we are we are happy to share that information. Yep. So, as you mentioned, we highlight what's in the bag of the winner, and if you go through Victor's bag, nothing changed from BMW to the Tour Championship, but. The obvious question that we always get, and and I, I want to know if this is if this is overblown or not. Victor doesn't have G430 in the bag. He has G425 LST. He doesn't have I230 in the bag. He has I210s. And a lot of people will always say, it this happens all the time, especially with the big names or a big event, uh, the new stuff must not be very good because Victor's not playing it. He's playing I210s. He's playing G425. Is it overblown? I mean, do you do you just sort of shake your heads and and say, I mean, these these are professional golfers; they can play whatever they want. I mean, sure, Ping would probably love it if they're playing if he was playing their most updated product, but he's going to play with, with whatever is going to help him win eighteen million bucks. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I could revisit what we talked about last week with uh, the experience that I had with Gary Woodland, and I mean, when you I mean, when you take a look at a player at that level and they have confidence in something in their bag, I mean, it's, I always kind of default to if it's not broke, don't fix it. So if he has confidence in the irons, he has confidence in the driver and it's been successful for him thus far this season. I mean, there's really no reason to change just because there's a new product available doesn't mean that there's necessarily a reason to make a change, especially when it's working. 
So it could be something that in the off season, now that he's got a little bit of time to relax and do some testing, I mean, we might see I-230 come into the bag next season. We might see G430 come into the bag next season. The life cycle for Ping products is substantially longer than a lot of the other OEMs out there with the exception of Titleist. So these aren't going to be products that are going to disappear or have a, a 12-month life cycle. So it wouldn't surprise me to see some of the the new products because the, the 430 products and the I-230 products are really good. So it wouldn't surprise me to see those get worked into the bag potentially for 24. I think it's it's not just like a high level player, and obviously he's got one with his driver and his irons. So, I mean, I think one of his webs is a little older as well. But it comes down to knowing he has a two point He has a Glide two Yeah, so like knowing your distances, knowing how far you hit it, knowing all those different things. And for me, like I always think back to like, yes, we get to test a lot of product all the time. And you know what? The one thing that I'm always willing to do, which I know um, a lot of people in my position might not be willing to do, I will post what's in my bag all the time. I'll go and play with something different. I'll show you what's in my golf bag because one, I'm I am like actively testing stuff, and I always find it very curious to see what I go what I go back to and what I'm you know what might be working for a certain situation. One club that has been in my bag a lot but has not been in my bag recently is the Burner Mini, and the reason has been I've been playing some longer golf courses, and I need that three wood off the deck. And the Mini off the deck is not a club that works really well for me. It's fun off the tee, and I can hit it off the deck, but it's not a club that's going to benefit me in a lot of situations off the deck. That's just one example. And having had the opportunity to hit the stuff, the new Stealth Two Plus Fairwood, I really like it. But the look to me of the original Stealth Plus seems to be a little bit better. That's just my opinion, so that's why I use it. Um, another example, I just actually wrote about this for golf.com and my wife's got a full new set of golf clubs and I wrote about what has been fitting her, uh, what has helped her golf game as far as specs are concerned. And it's not just for like, this doesn't just apply to women, this applies to moderate speed golfers as well. But there's this one picture of all her clubs and the one club that's in her bag is this, I think it's an, uh, an NP, no, it's not, it's a, it's a son, basically it's a Sonner Tech 9 wood. Okay. It's got 24 degrees aloft. It's got a pink NV in it. That was very popular, like 15 years ago. And she loves it. And you know why? It fits a spot in her bag. It doesn't have to go further. It doesn't have to go shorter. It, it, she can hit it out of the rough and it does what it's supposed to do. Could a new nine would do exactly the same thing? Of course it would, but she likes to look at this golf club. She's not switching it. And I think, you know, you can apply that to someone who is a, who is a 15 handicap all the way to someone who is a plus 10 handicap and say, if you've got a club that you're going to have in your bag that really works, stick with it. For for Victor, obviously, there's a bunch of options there, but he's got a brand new Titleist U505 as well. So he's got this, like, he's working his gapping all the time, and I think that's the most important thing. Larry Bobka, shout out to Larry Bobka, who's served for Titleist, and he, he still does fitting now. He did this, he talked about this one time because he's a big fan of half sets and stuff like that, and he said, it's a great way to think about your golf bag, and I love this, and that's, that's why I want to give him credit for it. You can carry 14 clubs, 13 full swing clubs. You should have gaps of 10 to 15 yards between each one of your golf clubs. And if your driver goes 265 yards and you kind of take that back all the way, right? How do you fill those gaps, right? Now for people who are slower swing speeds, you know, you don't, sometimes maybe you don't need those 14 clubs because if you divide 200 by 15, there's not 14 clubs there, right? But some golf clubs can do different jobs. And that's why when you have that one club in your bag, and I'm sure Chris, you've done this, you've dealt with players who've come in and, and been like, I have this seven wood or I have this hybrid that works great on my home course. It hits the shot that I want to hit and I really love it. And I don't really want to change it. And we'll say, perfect, let's work around it. And tour players do that all the time. I'm sure you have players come in all the time with those kind of situations. 
Oh, hundred percent. I mean, doing training with, uh, with our new fitters that come on staff with us. I mean, that's a conversation that we have right out of the gate that when you're conducting uh, a player interview and talking about a player's set composition or what's in the bag, and you ask that question to identify the, the number one reason, why are we here? What would you ideally like to see out a new product that current product's not doing? Or what is current product doing that you really like that you don't want to see change with new product? So, I mean, having that conversation and identifying what's working, why it's working, why do you like it? And then if there's something like you said, that's just kind of a, a sacred holy club in the bag, there's, there's no reason to replace it. There's no reason to change it. If it works, you're confident, you're comfortable, you're happy and it's producing, then yeah, there's, there's really no reason to change just because something's new and shiny and, you know, another uh, financial investment doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good for your game. And that's also the beauty of being brand agnostic. I mean, if you have a, a tailor-made driver that works well, doesn't mean the tailor-made fairway woods are going to work well, but then those tailor-made irons might fall right back into play and be a great fit for you. So, I mean, you got to trust the fitting process and if there's something that works, trust it. Yeah. And especially when you're talking about guys at the, at the top of the pro golf food chain, I mean, there's really no need to force them into something. Sure. Manufacturers would love for everybody to be playing their newest driver the very first week out, but that's not going to happen. You're always going to have holdouts guys that just love a previous driver. And it is a really like tricky situation for manufacturers because the optics of it, depending on the player, it might not look great if one of your biggest names isn't playing your, your newest driver. But I, I think a lot of the manufacturers years ago, I would probably say like a decade ago, there was this major push to like, everybody needs to get in the new driver. Even if you're not fully comfortable, you need to get in the new driver. And I, I do feel as if manufacturers have sorted have started to kind of take a step back and not put as much pressure on the players to play the newest stuff if they're playing well. It, if it's simply that they just don't want to do it because they don't want to do the testing, they're they for whatever reason they don't want to get into the new stuff, then I think pressure is applied. But if a guy is playing well, you leave him alone because at the end of the day, if he wins, he's still a a, a staffer underneath your equipment brand. And I think that's that's really important. Anyway, uh, next question before we get into the KO interview. Uh, RB pointed this out on social media, but Eduardo Molinari is the latest guy to go to a long putter. And he told a really fascinating story last week at the, the Czech Masters. He was, he was discussing how Adam Scott played a role in his, in his decision to go to a a lab golf it's the the mez one max the same head that adam scott's using the same head that lucas glover's using um and he he just he talked about how they had had a conversation at the open championship that led to eduardo when he went to the barracuda seeking out the lab golf rep and having a long putter basically the exact carbon copy of the one that lucas glover had, had even said when he was having his his run of good form with back to wet back wins, he said he had talked to the lab golf people and said, "I want the Adam Scott specs." So he wanted the same. Arby's laughing because I mean it's it's true. This is this is a thing now, and we discussed this with the counterbalance putters after Ricky Fowler had a, a really strong run on the greens, which led to Wyndham Clark using the putter. Then all of a sudden, Jailbird just exploded 
You had all of these guys testing it. They didn't have enough heads. It was a full-blown trend. And then we saw Lewis Glover and we talked about it a little bit on the podcast. And it was like, yeah, we don't really see a lot of long putters. But now we're seeing guys, Adam Scott, hell, Adam Scott deserves a, a commission. Like he's getting guys into the into the lab putter, and it's actually his build, and they're they're having success on the greens with this build, which then leads me to wonder: Are we starting to see a resurgence of the long putter? I don't really remember very many guys using it, but now we're starting to see more players use it. Is this going to become a trend, like the counterbalance, or do you feel like turn the calendar to January, the long putter is not going to be something that we're discussing here on this podcast? I think it's a slow burn. Like it, it's kind of one of those things. And there, there's two parts to this, which I think is important to like factor in. One is there really isn't, unless you're looking for something older. And I kind of started my journey with a long putter because I reached out to some friends at, at Titleist here in Canada. And I was like, do you guys have any of these old ones like kicked around a warehouse somewhere? Cause like I can remember 12, 13, 14 years ago when you, you brought them out, I'm sure there's, there's one kicking around somewhere that came back from a retail store all dinged up as a demo or something. And it's like, yeah, let me take a look. And, you know, a couple of days, it, it, I, they were able to find one. But there's not a lot of companies making these things. And I made the joke again a couple weeks ago. I was out on a putting green and I came across someone who had one. And I was in shock because like, it's fun because you don't really see them still out in, the, out in the wild. And it was an old Odyssey. And it was definitely used. So this thing had been around again for, heck, when they, when they banned it, when they actually banned the long putter, I can remember walking into like big box golf stores and mostly odyssey because they were the ones that had like you know a big they have a big putter share so they obviously try a lot make a lot of different putters and there was racks of these things for 50 bucks brand new 299 dollars putters for 50 bucks because they were considered illegal right because you couldn't anchor it but if you change your technique it's not illegal right so basically what i'm saying is lab is the only one that's making these things right now or at least makes them readily available so if someone's looking for one adam scott's the poster boy (laughs) At this point, yeah, you're right. It's the only it's the only game in town right now. He's been using it for a long time, and I think a lot of putter companies are going. You know, it's still it's still a very small market, so let them kind of have what they're they're looking for. And I think again, it, the one thing that I I, I don't think it nec- I honestly don't think it necessarily makes you a better putter. I think what it does is it puts you in a better position to make more putts. If that's that, I know that sounds like an odd thing because you think you make more putts, but these golfers can still read greens. Right. It's just a matter of maybe it's a posture thing. Maybe it's an eye dominance thing. Maybe there's gotta be something that's going to help them make help them do this. Right. And I, I think it comes down to just being able to create a better posture. And it, as we talked about with Victor, right? You just have a little bit of confidence in something, you're probably gonna pop better. And I think that's really important. I think that's what we're seeing here. And I still think that this, I don't think again, I don't think it's gonna explode. But you know, I'd be curious. Has anyone walked into a truth back and been like, hey, uh, do you guys have any long putters? Yeah, we've actually been getting a few inquiries on the lab putters and people want to try. But the, uh, I mean, for me, it's kind of interesting to see these coming back. As you said, RB, there was a, there was a trend there for a little while where they had traction. And I mean, it's kind of interesting that all of the new golfers that have come into the game since the COVID boom, I mean, this is, this is new tech. This is a new experience for them. They weren't in. The, the the game really when the counterbalance and the long putters were popular back in that mid 2000 kind of range and now that they're coming back this is all new to them so there's an entire new demographic of players that have never seen this before that are open to trying it that are seeing it have success on tour 
And now the OEMs that make it or are open to reintroducing it are, are seeing a, a little bit of a flux. So like you said, Lab kind of has a, an interesting position right now because they're the only ones in the game that are readily making these things available. Whereas you see the Titleists of the world and the TaylorMades and the Callaways and they go, you know, we've, we've seen this show before. It's a, it's a blip on the radar, but nothing that's lasting. So they could be holding out. They could, uh, you know, maybe surprise us with a 24 release or something along those lines. But yeah, as of right now, Lab is, uh, Lab's kind of killing it with the, uh, with the long putter game. And yeah, Adam is making it look really, really good. So wouldn't surprise me to see a little bit of traction in 24, but as far as something that's going to stick around and have some longevity, mm. maybe. You know who else is killing it, Chris? Who's that? Golf Pride. Well, absolutely. They, their product was used on used on the clubs of all four men's major champions this year, and they also happen to be uh, a very we were very thankful for them to be a sponsor of Fully Equipped because Golf Pride knows. That a grip isn't just a grip, it's a performance component of your golf equipment. And it's the only connection you have between you and your golf club. So when you have the right grip, the right size, the right texture, sometimes even just the right color, you're going to be able to swing more confidently. And when you're swinging more confidently, you're going to gain distance because studies have proven when you have all of these components come together, you're able to swing more freely. That means more distance. And also you're going to swing and grip the golf club more comfortably. When you have a golf club that, that fits in your hands more comfortably, maybe you're going to practice a little bit longer. You're going to hit a few more golf balls. You know what? When someone asks, hey, you want to do one more nine holes? You're going to be more comfortable going out and doing it because you know what? Your hands don't hurt. And if you are looking for comfort, there are grips like the CPX and the CP2, which offer really soft performance materials and vibration dampening. So like I said, if you are someone who might struggle with hand pain, they are great options to have. Or if you're on the other end of the spectrum, you are an all-weather golfer and you're looking for complete and utter performance, there are grips like the MCC, the Z-Grip, and also the Tour Velvet Cord, which gives you all-weather traction no matter the conditions. So if you were, you know, you're a golfer down in Atlanta this, this past week and it's, it's sweaty boy season in Atlanta and it is real hot and real humid, Having some core grips might work out real nice. Now, maybe, you know, it getting a little cooler. Maybe they're still helpful when you know, it gets a little colder out there and you, and you still want all of that traction you can possibly get. If you are looking to try any of these options and they also have putter grips as well, don't forget that. You can head over to golfpride.com, use code fully equipped. That is F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D. Don't worry, your phone will definitely spell correct fully equipped one way or the other. But use code fully equipped at golfpride.com and get free shipping on your next order that's available for all us customers and there is no minimum purchase required so if you want to just try a couple different grips you're not really sure or you want to stock up on your favorite grips head over to golfpride.com and check them out now when rb says sweaty boy season all i can see is a t-shirt with a picture of lucas glover's pants from <laughs> memphis <laughs> that's not a good visual that good, that's 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 the t-shirt right there i think it, i think oh. it could sell Speaking of sponsors, I mean, his caddy picked up a sponsor with, uh, what was it, Dude Wipes, Dude, thanks yeah, to that, uh, that very, very sweaty uh, sweaty Sunday yeah, afternoon. Uh, so, Oh, my oh, gosh. Looked brutal. It, it really, it's, it was, hey, you know what, he won, he won a bunch of money, so that's all that matters. Anyway, all right, so as I mentioned at the top of the pod, we have Kent Notes. He is a ping tour rep. He works with Victor Hovland. Victor Hovland won the tour championship. 
So it feels like a good opportunity to get KO on the podcast. He's a friend of the pod. He's been on a couple of times going through bag setups. We've had him on before to talk about Vic and Tony Finau in particular. And he details everything in the bag all the way from the driver through the putter. What makes Victor tick? What was it like meeting Victor for the very first time? Because Victor was not a ping guy. And so KO details what that interaction was like the very first time at the U.S. Open. It's a fun interview. Enjoy it. All right. Well, red hot Victor Hovland wins the tour championship on Sunday. And on Monday, we get ping to a rep notes to go through his bag. KO has been on the pod before. He is a friend of the pod. He's a very good friend of mine. And he knows way more about Vic's bag than pretty much anybody else on the planet. But first off, KO, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Yeah, it was, uh, it's been a fun, obviously, two weeks uh, with Victor playing the way he has been. Um, so, like I always say, whenever I'm on a podcast with you, it, it's probably a good thing for uh, my job and for paying. So, we're really excited over here. Yeah. So, you, again, you spend a ton of time out on tour with mm-hmm. Ping staffers, Vic being one of them. And I'm sure you have like a sense when guys are playing well, or at least kind of when they're starting to trend that direction. Uh, he's had two unbelievable weeks winning the BMW and then the tour championship. Did you, from the time that you spent with him recently, did you have any sense that his game was sort of trending this direction? Yeah. So Memphis, um, it felt like in Memphis, he was still just not as, you know, clean as he can be at times. He was working through some things with Joe Mayo. Um, and then obviously he played great after I think he struggled the first couple rounds and played good in the weekend. And then, um, uh, the range at BMW is one of those range where we're using the other course. So you have two pretty defined fairways. And when Victor starts to get hit, the driver locked in where it looks like it's going to curve one to two yards every time he can get in a spot with driver where it's very impressive. And he was there early in the week. And I was like, he's played here in college. It's a, you know, a hallway type golf course with some pretty clear lines, pretty straight off the tee. I was like, he's going to start playing pretty good. Now, did I think he was going to shoot 61 and have no, no fives on his card on Sunday? No, I did not, but a lot of threes. You could definitely see that he was starting to play some pretty good golf. Yeah. I I want you to go back to the first time that you met Victor. What, what do you recall from that, that first interaction with him? when uh, he signed on with i'm guessing it was probably around the time that he signed on with ping uh, around the us open it, it was very much so so i had been around victor briefly um at his time at oklahoma state because i was helping out scott sullivan and the amateur team before i did my role on the pga tour but i mean he was a tailor-made kid i was never gonna you know really spend much time with victor and i knew he was a great player and then i remember uh chance cosby my boss at the time was like hey ko when are you getting to the us open and i'm like you know, wait Sunday night. He's like, can you get there Saturday or early Sunday? And I go, no problem. Why? He's like, well, we need to work with Victor Hovland. And I was like, okay, that's very odd. I'm like, we must be trying to sign Victor Hovland. And I went and walked nine holes with him, the back nine Monday. And I was blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, he is in such control of his golf ball for a 21 year, 20 year old, whatever he was at the time. And I'll never forget. I made a bet with Christian Pena now who's uh, my still my boss but in a different role running the tour department my bet was I will give you five dollars every time his ball curves to the left but you owe me 25 cents every time it curves right that's like back then 
he's Victor can hit more draws now, but back then it was fall right, fall right, fall right, fall right. And that so that that was my first takeaway of Victor at Pebble. How long did it take for you to to build up a trust level with Victor when it comes to his equipment? You know, I know I, I look at these guys when they come out on tour, especially the the college players, and they're they're green, they're not quite sure what to do. They've gotten this far with their current setup. And so I'm sure in, in some ways they don't want to make a ton of changes. And so here all of a sudden they now have these guys, you, like you mentioned yourself, Christian Pena, uh, all the other guys in the truck who are here to offer up advice. But I know that it probably takes some time for them to feel comfortable with whatever you're suggesting being something that they might take into consideration and potentially use. Yeah, that's a great question. And Victor was such a unique situation from us. I mean, I think he showed up at the U.S. Open with, I think he played a, a G410 three-wood of ours in college. But really, we hadn't had much time with Victor. And honestly, to to Victor's credit, and probably a little uh, a bit of ours and how our team went about it, like it, he transitioned into our gear fairly easily. Now, we had those iron stories, right? Like it seemed like every week there was... Oh, we're going to get to those. Victor Hovland's playing eye blades with two eye ten eye blade long irons with two ten shorts. He's playing blueprints. He's playing all eye blades. He's playing all two tens. And like I always said, told people, I'm like Victor Hovland's basically trying to figure out what type of team player he is on the fly. And to his credit, he was able to do it. And like, but yes, it, this job is a lot about trust. Now, it'd be naive of me to say, do I think Victor Hovland trusted me like he does now? A year, his first year on tour, absolutely not. And it, it's. And I'm still building that trust up with Victor. And that's just, you know, every day we talk about things and he's always allowed to say that I'm stupid and wrong. And I, I just have to keep on telling him my opinion. And as more and more of the times, maybe he thinks I'm wrong and I might be a little bit right. That gives me a little bit of credit. And you just keep working through that relationship. But Victor's been a joy to work with. And I feel like due to his, the way he goes about his job and business, his, he feels like a pink kid forever now. And that, that's a lot on just his personality and who he is. Going back from the first time that you started working with him, in what ways has he changed in terms of how he tests equipment and how he builds a setup? Uh, Victor Hovland's become a much more dynamic golfer throughout that these last three, four years. Like that kid at Pebble Beach, who is one seventy ball speed, and I always thought was going to hit a little, you know, what it, what it is a pull cut, just a little one. He is he's opened up the horsepower with the driver playing into the mid one eighties. Um, he actually he'll hit some draws in, in, under the gun. Um, so he is he's basically taken what he does and he just added some bullets to his arsenal. Um, in terms of his equipment, he's never made a, an iron shaft change in his entire time with us. The putter's always been the same. Wedges we've worked on as his technique's gotten better, we've been able to been able to reduce bounce actually this year. That was a really cool story for. I think for Victor and for us is that he was able to actually reduce bounce in his 60 degree because his technique had gotten so good that he could functionally hit a lot more shots. Um, and then we're always kind of working on, um, he's been stuck in that driver part for a long time now. He's changed some shafts re for a while, but he's been in that. And then seven wood, um, he plays it at Augusta or whatnot here and there, but really he's just become a more dynamic player with what he's got. For a lot of tour pros, when, when I'm out on the road, I see guys grinding away on the range, and sometimes there's going to be maybe three or four reps behind them, kind of in their ear offering a product and seeing if they're going to test. And that's the the side that a lot of people, journalists, 
golf fans get to see. But but for somebody like Victor, in terms of how he tests product, how often are you traveling to Stillwater, which is his home base, yep. versus like how much is he testing product out on tour? Yeah, I think Victor is definitely a guy that um, he's made some of his most positive changes when we've gone and visited him in Stillwater. So I think that's a really comfortable environment for him, and, and it works out great for us. Oklahoma State being a ping school, um, anytime we can- The original ping school. Yes, correct. And I mean, the golf course is Carson Creek. Anytime a ping representative, if it's myself or Jeff Brown, Scott Sullivan, Spencer, CP, any of us, anytime any of us can head to Stillwater, I think that's a really positive thing for us and our team. So it's been awesome to have him there. And yeah, he does most of his like down and gritty work in Stillwater, I would say. Um, you mentioned just some of the the names there, and maybe people don't know who those guys are. They work with with the collegiate players. Yep. And I know, I know, you know, Ping, for people out there that don't know, they were really th- the first to get into college golf yep. and to to have an association with these collegiate teams. I know NILs are, are really big now and things have changed a lot. How how much more important is it to have those relationships and to get, have guys like Jeff Brown and and the folks that you have at Ping who maybe aren't out on the PGA Tour but are still they were always important, but it feels like, at least to me, that their roles have become more important now that that NIL landscape has changed. I mean, for sure. I mean, I think you look at my job is not, I don't have a job if it's not for Scott Sullivan and his full team. Scott Sullivan runs our college program and our whole amateur side. I mean, Taylor Moore, uh, Corey Connors, Mackenzie Hughes, Sahith Begala, Harris English, like those are the guys that are coming to us from that college program. And I think it just it, it it makes their jobs harder, in my opinion, and just a diff, more difficult landscape. Because now, instead of having some time to get to meet Corey Connors at Kent State and build that relationship there, you get under the impression that you're going to have to do that at an earlier age to be able to offer maybe that Preston Summer Hayes in NIL when he's a freshman and sophomore in college, right? So it just kind of moves the timetable up a little bit, which I don't know is good or bad. We can have that debate at a different time, but... I mean, now you're now you're starting to really, really evaluate at 14, 15, 16 instead of that maybe 16, 17, 18. So I, I know that Victor made a trip uh, recently to the the ping putting lab. And I'm sure he's made trips out to the ping proving grounds, which is there at HQ where, where you know the tour pros can kind of test behind closed doors. How does he like to make trips out there? Is it something that he tries to do like once a year? I know you mentioned doing more testing with him out out at uh, in Stillwater, but does does he still try to make time to make it up to HQ? Yeah, I mean Victor does a great job. Um, he came once uh, right after he turned pro, I think, to try to iron out that iron situation. Like, let's go through this and try to sit this down. Um, and then he comes out to do media for us. And the great thing for us is that the Phoenix Open is in town, so he'll always swing by at, at that time. But I think from a testing standpoint, I really think Victor has gotten pretty used to showing up to his front door at uh, Carson Creek, and we have no complaints with that either. So that really, that, that's worked out good for both parties. All right. So I want to get into the driver because yeah. it, it is a really fascinating golf club. Uh, he, For those that don't know, he uses a, a Ping G425 LST. But mm-hmm. what I, I find so interesting is that Victor is – goes against a lot of the the conventional wisdom that says that you need to go shorter in length to be more accurate and that a lot of tour pros use shorter length driver shafts. And I know we've had you on the pod before talking about Tony Finau who uses yep. a shorter length. Now, Victor yep. 
his driver length is 45 and three quarters, That's which correct. is, you know, quarter inch from the new uh, cap at 46 inches that the USGA put in place. But what is so interesting, if you look at the last two weeks, is he led the field in driving accuracy with a longer driver. Now people will tell you that the longer you go, the less accurate you become. Uh, Like how, how did this all start? Cause I I know we've talked before about Victor in the last couple of years, he was trying out before the 46 inch cap went in place, trying out 47 inch drivers, trying out 48 inch drivers. Um, He went up from 44 and three quarters to 45 and three quarters. What, what has that process been like for him to get into this driver that is not only long, but he's he's totally shattering all those all of those yeah. you know people that say that you can't go longer and become more accurate. Yeah, so Victor's driver story is very unique. It's and it's a long it's a long one um, as you can kind of reference. So Victor two years ago in Memphis, he wanted to play an inch longer. He really wanted to play something at forty six or forty five and three quarters. So we built him a G at that time it was four ten. So this might have been three years ago. Doesn't matter. In Memphis, maybe it had to be three years ago, he wanted to play a longer driver. So we built him a longer driver. The problem is with Victor's move, hands go out pretty hard in transition, swings a little bit left, he hits that fade already. The longer you make a driver, the harder it's going to be to square the club face. So he just kept missing. He took it out. on. It was decent on the range. Came back. He's like, dude, it just goes too far right. I end up gaining no distance because it's curving too much. It's not going straight. So we, he kind of was done with the idea. We were done with the idea. He's going to play 44 and three quarters. So then in September of that year, we took the truck to Stillwater um, and we were working with the team, the men's and women's team for OSU. And then it just where it happened that we had new product for Victor to test right away. When we tested 425 at his length, he was able to hit it left, draw it more. It definitely had more of a left bias. And that 425 LS tech does have a left bias. So I remember we were done with the fitting. We were eating lunch and he was super happy. He was just trying to get, his agent to get CP to let him play it the next week. So that was, that was that, but I'm out. At that I point. love those he stories. Has, he has the driver. He likes, I'm done. I'm just eating lunch. I'm good. And then Victor was like, Hey man, he goes, this thing goes so much farther left. He goes, why don't we try longer in this? And I was like, that's a great idea. Cause you already have, you, you can make it longer. We can hit your shot. You're going to gain four or five miles an hour ball speed, which is exactly what he did. And from day one, that 425's ability to go a little bit more left really, really helped him drive it like you're seeing it today. Does he do when you go longer, an inch longer? I mean, you're going to have to make some changes to to kind of get swing weight, I would assume. Does, does Do you have to do anything internally with this head or or anything different to, to get it to where he wants it when you go up in length? So normally with if guys we're going to, we would, if like, you went to a longer length. I would suggest maybe a little bit of heel weight at times because you do have to reduce the loft. You have to take the loft down because that's partly where you're gaining the speed. You're gaining so much club head speed that if we kept the loft the same, he just launch it higher and spin it more. So to optimize your launch conditions, you do have to reduce loft. That's another reason why it's usually right bias, right? Because now it's longer, harder to square on that axis, and now you've taken away loft, which is also harder to square up. But that 425, he he has played that driver with the CG shifter in the heel at times early on. It was in the heel, but as he's become more dynamic and swung it harder and harder with his training and, and working on his swing, it's now just dead in the center with neutral weight. I'm sure there are a lot of people out here listening right now who are that the gears are spinning. They're wondering, should I try a longer? Kayo's laughing. <laughs> but 
I mean, what, would you recommend if if somebody was out there and they let's say they're already fairly consistent with with impact and they're they're a you know relatively straight driver of the golf ball? Would you recommend yeah. that they maybe try out a different or uh, longer length? And if so, what what were what would be some things that you would at least tell them? Hey, look out for this or consider this when you're when you're going to a longer length driver. I I would a hundred percent suggest it, especially if they're a pink driver user. This new 430 series with the LST and Max are so forgiving. And if you're going to try longer, first thing I would suggest is try longer. Like let's make it three quarters of an inch at least or an inch, like get to 46 and work your way down, right? Like we're, we're going to do this. Let's try it. Um, for every inch you go, you're probably going to need to reduce your driver by a degree or degree and a half. So if you do have one of our products and it's in the dot, maybe just start it in the, in the big minus. And then you're just going to look out for what, what length is doing is it's going to increase ball speed. It's going to increase launch. It's going to increase spin. So just know going in that, and it's going to probably increase a right miss. So just keep that all in mind and try to handle all of those things to optimize it for, for how you're swinging. But yeah, if you're a super straight hitter, I mean, hitting it 10 yards farther is a massive deal. And you, you can even give up. Marty's done a bunch of research on this. Um, you'll have to have him on to explain all that, but there's, there's an equation where if you gain X amount of yards, you can give up a couple yards of accuracy and you're actually still gaining shots um, in a strokes gained world. We've had him on. I think he actually mentioned a little bit about this. Yeah, it's like three to one or something like that. Yeah. I think, but it's, it's something in that regard. Yeah, there's 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 a trade-off to be had, but but For you're sure. right. If if you're if you're accurate already, there's a good chance you might be able to gain something in the strokes gain category. Yeah. Um okay, looking at a step, I gotta bring this up. Vic's still in some older stuff. Oh yeah, I'm gonna sure. I'm gonna guess that he's he's a little bit more on the difficult side to to get into new product. I, I mean, would you would you say like where does he fall with the guys that you work with uh, as as far as like when you inter- when you you know introduce new product and give it to him? Like, are you already kind of expecting it's going to be a little bit of a slog to get him into new product? I think it's so funny because like he had that time period in his life where like in our relationship with Victor, he changed irons every two weeks. It felt like early. And then he changed from 410 right into 425 because it was so like we talked about the length, all of it. It was perfect. Well, the problem is like not the problem, but our engineers, they have to design everything for the masses, right? We have to take everyone's input. So the 430 LS tech goes a little more right is a little more right bias and it sounds a lot different. They, Cause one of the big complaints was 425 was too loud. And we get that complaint like ping clubs sometimes ping loud. They're just loud. So right. they did a great job. The engineers knocked it out. The two complaints of 425 was that it maybe grew too much and it was too loud on the LS tech side. So the 430 is a little bit quieter and it has a little bit more right bias. Well, Victor loves the way it sounds and he loves the fact that it goes left. So at that point, you're like, so well, he's like the outlier in in this whole yes. in this whole thing. So he he's he's not. Oh wow, that's pretty funny. Yeah. So you, then you're just like, okay, like I get that. And then he does play a set of two tens instead of two thirties. And I think that's just like I think if you ask Victor, and my like, I think they're very similar for him. I think we have a set of irons and two thirties that are very very good. But I do say in my job that the tie always goes to what you've played because. If it's the same on paper and you feel it's the same, there's no value that I can give to that set of 230s that has you hit a that what shot you hit on 14 at Olympic out of that right, that left rough. He had a, whatever he hit, he hit that to two inches. Now that's 
that adds so much value and knowledge to him. So I do always say the tie goes to the club in the bag. And I think we've had a lot of ties with Victor of late, unfortunately, for I mean, whatever you want to say it. I'm not, I mean, he just won $18 million. It's not that bad. Yeah. I was going to say, he, he's had a, a decent couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you, you had mentioned at the top of the pod that he will sometimes use a seven wood. I know recently he's had a utility iron in the bag. Yep. Would you say that's pretty much the only club that is, is like a course dependent club in his bag? Most, most yeah. of the rest of his setup is pretty pretty like set in place going throughout the yeah. year. Yeah. He, he went to seven wood, I think at a couple of the majors this year, typical, I mean, Augusta was a perfect spot for it. Um, he has a shot. You can still go back on the app. There's a shot on 13 Saturday morning. Like he hits his seven wood and you can tell, like he audibly says like that was horrible. And then it goes to like 20 feet. So I was, I'm all, I, I go back and watch that from time to time just because I'm like, yeah, seven woods are awesome. But yeah, seven woods is the only one that then that utility iron to go in and out. All right, let's get into the irons because, yeah. as, as you mentioned, going back to right around the time that he turned pro, I mean, Victor kept me kept me busy. Yeah, and, for and sure. I thank him for that because you know that that keeps me in a job. But yep. he went through so many different iron setups. It was he flip flopped the two different models. You know, at one point it was like long irons and the short irons, and the next time we talked to him, it was. The, you know, the short irons were now the long iron model, and then he would go for a full set of just one model. I, I mean, it, it literally felt like he was changing iron setups almost every single week. And the craziest thing about it was he was he was pretty much leading the tour in stroke scan approach yeah. with all these different setups. It wasn't like it and kind of it goes back to your point of at that time, it did feel like he was just trying to find the ideal setup, which yeah. for him has turned into a, a full set of, of I-210s. Yes. But I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm going to guess that he's grown content with this setup and has no, no interest in changing because that was, that was a truly wild uh, moment for, for golf equipment, social media. It was. It was, and it was, it was interesting to be on the ride with him. Like, cause you didn't know what was coming out of the gun. You're like, okay, we're doing, cause if you're willing to play blueprints, a full set of blueprints and a full set of I-210s, like you're willing to play pretty much everything we have to offer. So we had to be ready for anything on any given no, mo- notice. And it, we learned a lot about our irons because of that. Cause he's such a quality ball striker and seeing like the eye blade long irons and I-210 short iron thing came from, he felt like the eye blade long irons were going too high. And on paper, you would think that's so. That's why he did that. He felt like he got a lot of height out of the eye blade long irons, but that height was a negative to him when he got to the short irons, and he felt that the two tens and they did were going lower. So that's how he ended up there. Blueprints didn't spin enough, but he loved the look. And then now, I think even if today, if you ask Victor Hovland, do you love the look of your irons? I don't know if he would say like <laughs> he loves the way these things look, but he loves the fact that he hits them the way he does. So. He's going into the performance of the 210, which is actually really cool to see. Coming from a guy that's not a ping guy from growing up so much as some of our other players, like he fell into a set of irons because of the performance and not because of the look. So because he has used 210s as in in mixed sets at the top of the bag and at the at the bottom of the bag, what what about the full-on I-210 set just made him feel like this was this was the best setup for his game. I think I just go back to him always making the comments about how the short irons fight so good. So like if you're a 210 player at his level, probably the one thing you're going to 
question the most is those short irons. But if you love the eight, nine, and wedge in that set, there's no reason you wouldn't love the four, five, and six. Like that's that's when you start to get all that forgiveness, that low CG, that really forgiving club. And Victor's super shallow. Like he's an underspinner of the golf ball. And the 210 having all that technology helps get the ball in the air, helps keep it in the air, and he needs that. So that's the that's the cool part. That's where they marriage is that his swing dynamics are going to be something that send the ball out and down, and that club helps the ball go up and up. So it, it's, you know, I guess it's no surprise here that Victor Hovland has played his best golf with with a short game that has has greatly improved. I go back yeah. three years ago when he won his first PGA Tour event, and he proclaimed after after winning a tour event, KO, that he sucked at chipping. Which I I love I love the fact that he he's so honest about his game. You you never have to wonder where where Vic is at. No, um, but in addition to to doing a lot of work behind the scenes to improve his short game, you mentioned that he's made some some modifications to his wedges. Yep. Can you kind of walk me through how those wedges have changed over the last yep. couple of years to to fit the improvements that he's been making in his on the instruction side? Yeah, so he started with a ping wedge last year in Delaware at Wilmington. He went through, basically at that point, he wasn't playing a ping wedge. So we're just like, hey, let's get what we built. I think we just went through all the models that we had at our disposal. We built them up and started going through the process. And he settled on a Glide 2058 TS, so our low bounce option, but bent to 60 degrees. So whenever you bend the loft into a club, it's a one-to-one ratio. You're adding bounce. So... On our TS or our T version of our wedges, those are going to be our low bounce, which are the ones that sit the lowest to the ground. You get the most relief um, and playability when you open them up. And that's what Victor likes. Victor is always, I will give him credit for being a guy that did struggle around the green. He loved the idea of opening it up and taking on the shot, even when he couldn't do it. And I was like, that's a high degree of difficulty shot, which, you know, when you're a guy who's struggling with your short game, it, it doesn't, it doesn't compute. No, you would be like, Hey, what's this, you know, play more bounce, not open it up as much and just hit it to 10 feet. But to Victor's credit, and probably one of the reasons he's made such improvement is he never really went down that road. He always wanted lower bounce, be able to open it up. Hey, I want it. This is a shot I need to be able to hit. I need to learn how to hit it and I need to figure it out. So we kind of compromised then with our low bounce wedge with two degrees more bounce just from bending the loft to 60 degrees. So he played that for an entire year. And then I would say it was around the players' championship or maybe just before that this year. He was like, hey, what if I just did? He goes, I think my technique's way better. He goes, give me the 60-degree at 60 degrees. So now he's playing a true 60-degree bounce wedge, and it's going to be more versatile, right? Because it's it's the wedge going to sit lower to the ground and all the things you get with less bounce, but it's also going to require more skill. But ever since he changed, his stats have slowly gotten better, and he's never asked to go back. So that's just... That's just the, the lot of work that he's put in learning how to expose that bounce and hit those shots a little bit cleaner. So going to lower bounce, uh, it always makes me wonder, does he make any additional modifications? Do you have to grind anything off in certain spots just to to fit how he delivers that wedge? In some in some cases, we probably would with other players, but that's probably one of the reasons why he ended up in that 260 TS is it was the sole was always perfect. He felt the heel was perfect, the back was perfect. So on his wedge, no, we don't. Now, if he wanted to go into a four OT with that soul being different. We probably have to do slightly different things just to match it up. As far as how often he's changing out those wedges, how often does he change out, say, the 60 versus 
the you know like the gap in the sand throughout the season. Yeah, he's he follows pretty much our I would call our prototypical player. Those gap in sand can stay a long time. I'd say three to four months, maybe even longer. That lob wedge goes about every month, um, yeah. just depending on how much he's playing. All right, last question before I get you out of here. As always, we're trying to to you know give listeners out there, the regular golfers, help them glean some insights from what the tour pros do. What what would you say is something that regular golfers can learn from how Victor builds his setup and how he tests? I think um, I'm going to go a little bit more just to how Victor goes about his entire game. I think Victor is one of the best in the world of he, he just does what Victor Hovland does. He's not chasing... I've never felt like Victor Hovland's chasing his tail. He's just always, he's got a plan. He's got a golf swing and he just executes. Victor Hovland has gotten Victor Hovland's game a little bit better just over time. And now you're seeing the results of how good he, you can be like, he was already a great player and he didn't go down any, he's not going down rabbit holes or anything. Just, just get a plan, stick to it and work that plan. And you can, you're going to get better at this game. And, And I, I really admire Victor Hovland and how he goes about his business and doing that. Dale, this was fun as always. Congrats again on yeah, that, a big yeah, couple of weeks for paying. It is awesome. Yeah. And then we'll, uh, we'll hopefully talk to you soon. Yep. Thanks, man. Thanks, Dale. All right. And thanks again to Kale for the time. Well, we've been building this up for long enough. So let's get to it. It is time for the fully equipped hotline. As I mentioned, we have a new voicemail box. If you want to leave us a voicemail, ranting, raving, got a question for us. You just want to get something off your chest. It's got to be gear related. Maybe not. I mean, it could be anything, but you know, we, we usually try to keep it to gear around this place. That number is 602-935-4974. Again, that's 602-935-4974. And coach, you've got these teed up, man. Why don't we get to question number one? All right, fellas, here we go. For better or worse, question number one. Hopefully for better. Hey, boys. Bill from Austin calling. Wanting to know if you had to put together an entire bag for under $1,000. What's going in it? Not the bag, of course, just the club. Are we going and finding a used set? Going direct to consumer? Specifically, I want to know what clubs we're putting in the bag. Thank y'all. Have a good one. I love this. Oh, this is right up my wheelhouse. Yeah, I would say RRB. The gears are already are already spinning. Chris, Chris has got a, a pondering look on his face. Again, as I mentioned, I'm the only one that's heard these questions. The the boys have not. So I'm going to give them a minute to think about this. You want me to go first? So, so give you a little bit extra time. I'm ready yeah, to go. Yeah. I okay. I'll go. Oh, Arby's ready. Well, okay. Oh, so yeah, RB probably knows this because he just built the high school bag. This so, is this is uh this yeah is an easy this is one. this is probably a pretty easy. One. All right, RB, go for it. What, what what would your answer be to Bill? So the biggest thing is, anytime you're working with like a price point like that, you got to worry about irons. So irons is always the place to start. You want to go back maybe four or five generations, look for game improvement product or like that kind of player's distance or that mid level cavity back for most players. You can always go uh, game improvement or super game improvement. To think that you can go back now and find an original set of Rapture irons for like two ninety nine is insane because those irons, well, at least in Canada, they were like fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars. Titanium faces, all that stuff, you can get them for like forty bucks a club, which is when you think about it, nuts. So 
you got to go back a few generations. And if you know if you want to be specific, I would do something like a Cobra Driver or a 910 from Titleist. I would look at some Adams Fairy Woods or some older tailor-made Fairy Woods like a Rocket Balls or something like that. Then as far as irons are concerned, probably some some Titleist irons. Titleist or Ping irons are always a, a good a good way to go. If you go off the beaten path and look at some, say, some Cleveland stuff or even um, trying to think like I got some old tricks on irons I got for like 200 bucks and they're like sick. <laughs> I mean, I can put them in play right now and I'd have no issue with, with any of them. And then as far as wedges are concerned, you just want to look for condition. Titleist, Vokey, some old Nike stuff. Um, I'm looking around at like all the stuff that I'm just kind of kicking around in golf bags right now. But if you go back to those few generations, you're going to find all kinds of value. You could easily put together a set for under 750 bucks. And if you start like kind of picking and choosing, you want to be a little picky. $1,000 gets you a ton of bang for your buck when it comes to your gear, 100%. And by, if you can, when it comes to the driver, buy adjustable. Because that way, at least because you are buying used, you have the chance to mess around with it a little bit. Or you're getting really crazy, experiment with some shafts down the road. A thousand bucks. I, when I was listening to this question, I'm like, that's a lot of money. Yeah, there's a lot that's, you can do with a thousand bucks in golf can, gear. Yeah, you can definitely huh. buy some really good golf gear for a thousand bucks. And with with golf having this this resurgence since COVID, uh, you know everybody's buying stuff, and it just feels like the the used rack keeps growing, and you see all kinds of goodies on the used rack. So thousand bucks is it's kind of tough because you're like, man, but what, but what I use, like, would you spend a lot of money on just one particular club and skimp elsewhere or, or kind of spread it out across all 14? Chris, what do you, what, what you got? Okay. So I was thinking about this while, while RB was going through, uh, through his picks. And if I'm setting up a bag and I have a thousand dollar budget, so starting with driver, it's no question for me whatsoever. I'm going 2016 TaylorMade M2. That is 100% in the bag. No question. Love that driver. And then going Callaway, XR16, Fairway Woods. And then... Great choice, by the way. Uh, Get a compliment and say that was a great choice. Those things are phenomenal. So good. And then going to take one from you with the uh, with the Adams Hybrids. Really tough to beat. And then I'm actually going to go PXG Gen 1 Irons. I mean, you can pick those things up dirt cheap. They're, and they're, that, really, they're really good. The Gen 1 at 0311s were really good. And now, I mean, they are, I mean, just dirt cheap. And still, I mean, that was industry-leading tech before it, it tailor-made. Kind of, they actually, I would say, kicked off that player's distance category. I mean, with that uh, that original Gen 1, because TaylorMade built their, their 790 workhorse as a direct competitor for that, that Gen 1 PXG. So there was a lot of innovation and tech built into that Gen 1 PXG iron, that 0311. And I mean, then transitioning into if you can find in good shape the old Cleveland wedges before Roger left Cleveland and went to work for Callaway, those wedges were phenomenal. And then I would, if I'm going back to, to pick something, I would cherry pick an old two ball with the original white hot face. That would be my, my budget bag of goodies that I would put together. Beautiful setup. Brings a tear to my eye. All right. Well, Chris stole my driver, but that's okay. That, that 2016 M2 is just means it's awesome. It is. It is such a good driver. My backup in that one was going to be a uh, ping G 400. 
that's a really good driver. You still you still yeah. see it out on tour. And it's it is again, I'm sure Chris would attest it's a tough one to beat in a head-to-head situation if a guy's got a proper build. Especially that LST. So good. Yeah. Uh so going from the driver into I'll I'll go with the the G four hundred Fairywood, which I feel like the driver gets a lot of gets a lot of the plaudits, but the the Fairywood is really freaking good. I've I've played this one Four, a lot. Four hundred stretch was wicked. The, the yes. bigger one too. Yeah, yeah, that was a fun yeah. one. Those are hard so, to find, but that's a good one. Yeah, and and for a guy who is not, um, it's not somebody who likes to play fairy woods, knows how to play fairy wood. The four hundred was one of those that that was really fun. I I did feel like I had some confidence with it in the bag. Uh, I am not a, a guy that uses a lot of high lofted fairways, although I, I do have a, a TSR two that I've been playing around with that I really like, but I would slot in Mizuno's, the pro fly high, the fly high is just, it's a really good utility iron that again, kind of similar to the G 400 fairways just doesn't get a lot of chatter for whatever reason, <clears throat> but those, those are really strong. I'll go way back. And again, this one is, is one from my junior golf days, and I've talked about it a lot on the pod, title 731 PMs, one of the original mixed sets. And the cool part is, is that you don't have to blend a bunch of different irons for that set. It was designed that way with the cavity back long irons with the low CG kind of going into these, uh, almost like a, like a muscle back profile in like the mid irons with a little bit of a thumbprint there in the back of the, the muscle pad. And then it tra- transitioned right into to full on blades in the short irons. It was such a good set, and it's still one of those. Like to this day, if somebody were to say, "What's your favorite golf club?" Like, what's the one that made you giddy? Like the seven thirty one PMs. Those were the irons, and again, they were lefty only, which I love. But they were they were fantastic. From there, I'll go with Vokey SM six. That was when they went to the to the repositioning of the center of gravity and it was visual on the back of the heads i love those wedges and again i i like the fact that there's a little bit of history there with that being the the progressive cg and i'll finish it off with a scotty cameron newport oil can as long as you can keep the keep the rest away the oil cans were amazing they had they had some some great just kind of the rainbow finish on those was pretty fantastic and I'm I'm almost 100% positive that I could get that entire setup for less than a thousand dollars, for sure. It's all old gear, guys. Like that's the thing. I, I would expect if if you were to ask people, would be you know trying to figure out what kind of new stuff they could get. But you can you can get a lot of really good old stuff for for way less than a thousand bucks. All right, go to second question. Let's go. Hey, this uh, message is for my boys that fully equipped. This is Bedford. And, uh, you know, you wanted some feedback and some hot takes. And, you know, Gene, I know you're ready to take some heat, but sit back for this one. RB, this one's for you. On the last episode, (laughs) talking about the golf ball, my man said, to be honest, for 65% of his take, RB, come on, do better. We love you, and I love your work, but you can't say to be honest. For half of the stuff you said, run the tape. Play it back <laughs> for the people. Accept my feedback, RB. Get better. Anyway, I love you guys. Love listening in every week. Have it all a good week. Accept my feedback. Get better. 
I, I pretty much that's my mantra every every day of my life. But we did say that we might get blown up in these. There, there's there's our first guy blowing up RB spot. Do you have a reaction to that RB? That's okay. I just thought, I, hey, thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. And you know, to be honest, it was a it was it was good to have that as the second call. <laughs> um, that was good. No, that's good. I mean, and I think it's it's. Uh, I'm gonna I'm always gonna have a take on the golf ball. So I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna offer it up as best as I can. And, uh, always willing to accept feedback, accept conversation. It's one of the things I tell my kids all the time. Tell to tell anybody who's willing to listen is like, you have to be willing to to fail, to move forward. And if that means you know I have a bad take, I have a bad take, but I'm willing to learn from it. But I still, you, I still you know what he was pointing out though. He was pointing out that you said to be honest, sixty five percent of the time. I yeah, I say that a lot. I you know it's, it's kind of like maybe it's one of those word ticks, right? I guess it's it is. Those, like, we all is, have. Is a, it a filler I, phrase? It mine is is like and you know, which are very common. And I hate listening back to myself when we do the pod, but I will always say like and you know, and they just become filler words for me. And then once I know I'm doing it, then I become self conscious about it. It's it's human nature. RBs is to be honest. Yep, it is true. And now everybody's oh, going to be Canadian. listening. He's, to every he's just always going to be. He's always going to be honest. He's always going to be. We have a to be honest counter. Nice. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Do I get a like it. and you know counter? I don't want to counter. It's just going to make me self conscious about everything I say. I don't know what mine are. I don't want to know. Well, I don't need anybody to call in doing, and point uh, it out. Do, be, becoming mimes. You're going to have to watch the video version to to figure out what we're what we're trying to get across. Don't worry, anyway. I got a list for all you guys um, after 200 episodes of this. But oh, uh, here's question three. <laughs> hey guys, uh, just get listen to the podcast today. Um, USGA, they need to stay out of the equipment business. Uh, rules golf, great competition, great. But leave the game alone. It's great. The whole ball thing is stupid. I don't care about the scores. I want to see these guys play good. I don't want to see them shoot 72. I want to see 58 like Bryson did a few weeks ago. I want to see, you know, what was happening in uh, the last round this week. You know, uh, Victor Hoffman just absolutely smoking it. These guys are precision athletes. That's why golf has gotten a little more, e- a little easier for these guys. But and also just to end this, Dean is the voice of reason in y'all. Oh. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I'm so very glad he got him a speaker. I was so happy when that happened. But just again, Dean is the voice of reason. Y'all need to listen to that guy. He knows what he's talking about. I uh, hope all of y'all have a good day. Good boy. See you later. This is Gene's brother from the South. I 100%. Swear. That has to be Gene's brother. I was going to say Gene's that. This is brother. Because this was, this was a very pro-Gene take. I, I don't even know what to, what to say. You know, I feel like his, his take on a possible rollback is, is probably the take of the people. I would guess 100%. I would guess a majority of golfers, if you were going to to poll them, would probably have a very similar response. No, I would agree with that hundred percent. I mean, why would anybody want to you know, like we said earlier, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I mean, for the for the every man, 
right? Things are good. Things are good in the gear world. Things are good in the golf ball world. And for the for the average player out there, for most of us in the amateur ranks, it's you know I don't want to have to hit a seven iron right now when I'm hitting a nine. That sounds terrible. Now make the uh, make the elites change. RB. Well, I appreciate the call, <laughs> but I can disagree. <laughs> I can I can wholeheartedly disagree, and that's okay because I I just I still think that. You know, if if you take even if you take like a a golf ball that's considered short now or not ideal for somebody, or you go go play when it's cold out, right? Like the the game, the people, the problem is, or not sorry, not the problem. That's that's the that's the wrong phrasing. The the can the issue or the the differentiation between like how we enjoy the game, I think, is really important for an equipment company. Make something different. I don't think it's a big deal. And for what, what the, the other thing is we are equating skill to score, right? And score is oftentimes related more to setup of the golf course than anything else, right? Johnny Miller can shoot 63 at uh, what Oakmont. I can't remember. I think it's Oakmont. It wasn't, wasn't going to that right, man, or he's going to come knocking I know. on your door. Mm-hmm. I know. But he did that with old gear, right? Because the setup was very hard. Ken Duke went out and shot whatever, 65 at, the, the players that one time and it was insane it's because of the course setup you can set a golf course up and bryson can go and shoot 59 58 it doesn't the people have shot 59 like golf course a lot right and yes course conditions have gotten better but to say that someone is going to shoot a higher score and that's not entertaining would be you know i think is unequivocally incorrect because everyone every year waits for the open championship when the, the, the conditions are bad and everyone tunes in you know, right now, F1 is having a problem. The problem with F1 right now is Max Verstappen's winning all the time because his equipment is, is so good, and he's also a very good driver. He's a very good athlete. But is it exciting because he's winning all the time? No, it's really not. It's fun, maybe fun to tune in and see who finishes fifth or podium or top five or top ten in the points. But at the end of the day, the technology is not creating differentiation between players, and I think that – and creating more variance is going to be the thing that would, would make golf more entertaining. And that's just my opinion. And I accept, uh, I accept our caller's opinion as well. But, uh, do you think, that's, do that's you think that Max could win, uh, win, uh, win an F1 if he was racing for somebody other than Red Bull? I would say if he had a, if he had an Aston Martin or a Ferrari right now, he'd probably be out there as well. It'd be very, very close. But, but I would, think would he you're, be dominating like he is. No. But I also think if you put Alonzo, right now in a in max scar he'd win which is kind of nuts and i, I think which is kind of crazy because like you think of okay now we're now we're in the f1 topic but like sergio perez has the same car in theory as max and max is whooping his ass right in theory they do but i don't believe and, that yeah yeah and i mean there are times when uh lewis hamilton had a pole position this year i don't remember the race um but it was that was one lap right that wasn't the variance of like the whole race right and sergio i think asleep this is this yeah. is totally this is totally <laughs> out of his wheelhouse, but this is that is the thing, right? Like technology can create advantages and make it very interesting, and I think what all this, all we're doing is it, it always comes down to fitting, it always comes down to optimization, and from the idea of just to go back here, not noticing lower speeds will notice less differentiation between golf clubs than higher swing speeds because you create. There's more. There's more speed. You see more variance versus lower speeds. So nobody lower wants to hear speed. that RB. Nobody wants to hear. No one wants to hear you know, logic. No one wants to hear, hear science. Logic. I'm sorry. Nobody wants, nobody wants to hear it. 
but uh, to say that someone would notice at the same speed is, is uh, like, again, kind of one of those things. But anyways, that was a good call. I appreciate the feedback. I, I do appreciate Gene's long lost brother Gunner from Houston, Texas, calling in and offering his take and also uh, bringing up the speaker. Once again, I, I cannot tell you how many emails and DMs I've gotten about from people saying, stop talking about the speaker. And yet here we are. Episode <laughs> here 200, we are. 204, 205. I've lost count. And we're still talking about the damn speaker. Anyway, coach, next question. What's up, boys? Really appreciate uh, everything you guys do to bring us the latest ear news and really uh, love listening to the pod. Um, I'm, I was wondering if you guys could discuss, um, give us like your, obviously there's so much out there with ear and so many details and all that to get into and think about. And it can be a bit overwhelming, I think, for golfers, or at least average golfers who, who play once or twice a week like myself. Give us your basic, I guess, toolkit or, or what a have um, before they head out for. So if you're looking at your setup, um, obviously you know all the clubs, but points and, and obviously a major a major thing would be a fitting, but but I would love to know kind of uh, what are kind of the, the, the checklist or, you know, the must-haves um, before an average golfer heads out um, just to make sure good to go and, and, and have everything kind of dialed in. Like, for example, you know, general spacing between clubs. Um you know, what, what kind of clubs could you be playing? What kind of irons for, for certain players? All that stuff, which I know you guys have touched on collectively, but would love to um, just get, I guess, kind of your, your top five or your most basic tips, um, you know, for someone who's kind of just looking to improve their game and making sure that their setup is, while maybe it's not perfect right now, it's enough um, to get them through and help them improve their game. Thanks, boys, and uh, here's I feel like this is a great question because while we do a lot of our a lot of our discussions that seem to focus on on the tour pros and on people who who know gear, we're we're assuming that if you're listening to this podcast, you you're as you're gear sicko. But at the same time, people find this podcast and they're not gear sickos. They they love the game. Maybe they're trying to get interested in the gear side. And learn more about their own equipment. So I, when I heard this question, it made me it made me think. All right, this is this is obviously somebody who's looking for some more like high level tips. Maybe somebody who's who's not uh you know a five handicap who knows their setup fairly well. Maybe this is somebody who's like a twenty or a twenty five. Maybe this is a beginner. So what would be some some tips or as he said like a checklist of of things to consider when you are building your bag or or things that you need to look at when it comes to your setup or be mindful of i will default to the fitter that uh that fits golfers all the time you've got some good answers there i want to hear because chris, chris talks to golfers a lot more than i do on a regular basis like in person so i'm really curious to get his thoughts and then i'll i can add on on the end there so, I mean, if I'm interpreting that question and, and basically going through essentially a top five or a checklist on how to play better, play more consistent. I mean, is that how you would interpret that, Jay Wall? I mean, as yeah. far as how to yeah. set I, yourself up for success? Yep. Set yourself up for, su for success. Yep. So, I mean, 
from a gear perspective, I mean, identifying obviously that every club in your bag when it comes to set composition has a purpose. So understanding and knowing what every club does. And then from a player perspective, this is where I would really kind of focus on. I mean, as far as being able to play score better, more consistently, as once you have your bag set at that point in time, it's, it's application time. So it's putting those into play to physically play better, play more consistent. So, I mean, I look at essentially my coaching background, where are your strengths as a player? So if you're a good driver of the ball, if you're a good iron player, if you're a good wedge player, and as you approach a course or a hole, essentially reverse engineering it from the green back to the tee. So for example, if it's a, let's just say 375 yard par four, which is a pretty common number, I would say for most players that play from the middle tees or where most courses would categorize it as like the white tees. And if you're looking at, okay, I'm an average male amateur player and I hit my drive 240 yards. Now, and am I a good iron player? Or as I approach a par five, am I going to be going driver and then ripping three wood? And it, basically setting yourself up for success. If I know I'm a good iron player and I know I'm a good wedge player, why would you pull the three wood and just take a rip at it just because it's going to get it closer to the green? That might not necessarily put you in the best position to shoot the lowest score possible if you are better with a full swing than you are a half or a three-quarter swing like myself. My proximity with a full wedge or a full short iron in my hand is better than it is from 60 to 90 yards. I am much better and more consistent with a more of a full swing club into the green. And then just when it comes to that approach shot, looking at the fact that the majority of putting surfaces are on average around 3,000 square feet, so if you are looking at that putting surface and visualizing a 3,000 square foot two-story house, and this is a visual that I love with uh, my, my playing lessons with players and telling them all you have to do is hit the house. So stop focusing on the pin and all you have to do is hit the house. And if I drop 10 balls from 130 yards and say, just hit the house, that's a lot less intimidating then, hey, you need to hit this little four-inch circle that's you know, 130 yards away. So, I mean, as far as going and actually playing better golf and going through a checklist, I mean, I always think and default to course management and planning the shots that you want to hit from the green back to the tee. You know, don't always reach for that driver when you could go five iron, nine iron, or you know, five iron pitching wedge and have a greater success of reaching the green regulation. Uh, that's, that's my take. I think from a, from a gear perspective, I approach it a little differently. Um, the first thing I would do is I would just, if you're going to the golf course or you're, you know, you're just someone going out to play, eliminate any golf club in your bag that sucks. <laughs> Sounds really simple, but you know, if you struggle, if you, if you, every time you go to the golf course, you think to yourself, I, I, I always, I never hit the three wood on the par five. I know it's always like a good example, right? Um, then don't use it. Don't even bring it to the golf course, right? Like don't even tempt yourself with the option, right? You're on, okay. I know like bad phrasing maybe, but like, you know, if you're on a diet, don't go buy cake, right? Maybe you can, and you want to like, you know, dribble it in there once in a while. That's totally fine. I eat ice cream all the time. I love the stuff with like the little peanut butter cups in it. Okay. But what I'm saying is, okay. 
don't bring it to the golf course. If you know, you're going to like, Oh, I probably shouldn't hit the shot and then do it. And then complain that you made a seven instead of a five. Right. So just take them out of your bag. And once you start eliminating those golf clubs like that and say, maybe it's a lob wedge, then the next thing, you know, you're going, it's like, why I'm, I'm just more consistent because you're making better decisions. And so as far as clubs are concerned, as far as setup is concerned, pull out the clubs that you don't really like, figure out what clubs you do like. And, you know, to Chris's point, play good course conditions. As far as setup is concerned, I don't know how many times I answer questions about hosel settings on drivers and fairy woods and hybrids. Go to the website. Look, just type it into Google, your driver hosel settings. Okay. It comes up. I swear. Don't message me on, I don't mind. Don't wrong. I like when I get the messages, but don't message me and say, what setting does this on a driver? Titleist ABC123 is on the freaking website. It comes up in Google. All right. I am not your Google. But other questions, I'm still fine with that. Okay, I'm not complaining. Okay, I'm just saying. Okay, because I do. I just Google it and I send you the answer. That's, so that's like, the I'm closest just, that we're going to get to an RB rant on this podcast. I'm just playing middleman. Okay, I'm just playing middleman. <laughs> but utilize your hosel settings. To understand if you say, oh, you know, I always seem to miss to the right. Add a little bit of loft. Get that line to up. Tend to miss to the left. Open that club face up. Right. Like I don't get a lot of roll on my driver. Lower the loft. Just think your way through this, these like little processes of like, you know, what do I not do well with my driver? How can I make it better? Maybe it's adjust the setting. Maybe it's shout out to our friends at Golf Pride. Maybe it's change the grip, right? Maybe you bought a driver used, it's got a huge grip on you and you didn't even realize it. And it's like, well, why does this club? I don't, don't perform very well with this grip. Well, put like club, put a new grip on it, right? Like huddle settings, grips, eliminate clubs from your bag that you don't like using. And last but not least, just maybe just check your line angles. Like, I know that's kind of one of those things, and I know that involves going to see a fitter, but it takes very little time to do it because if you notice you're always missing to the right or missing to the left, just like hosel settings, go get your irons at least checked, and that's going to be a huge improvement in making more center contact. Could could cost you five bucks a club, which is very, very affordable when you think about how much a set of golf clubs is worth, and you could hit a lot better. So that would be my tips when you're just focusing on equipment is eliminate the stuff that doesn't work. And make the stuff in your bag work better by utilizing settings and small things that don't cost a lot of money to make those adjustments to hopefully bring some more consistency to your game. There we go. Uh, really quick for me, RB mentioned lie angles. I think it's so important. And I'm speaking to, to somebody that's either a beginner or a higher handicapper, somebody who's still trying to figure out their setup. Consider the idea of using a half set. I, I think that that as both... RB and Chris mentioned like pulling the clubs out of the bag that just don't really have a place. Either they suck or they don't get a lot of use. Just, just pull them out. And the the reason why I really like a half set for beginners is because it teaches you how to become creative. You know, I think one of the things that, that when we tell people to buy clubs, they think, Oh, I got to get 14. And then they're trying to hit all these, these full shots with all these different clubs. They're not quite sure how to, to do it. They're trying to figure out stock yardages for everything. I love the idea of going with a half set, simplifying it. You know, you have certain clubs, you know, you're going to have gaps in your setup in learning how to hit those different shots, learning how to perfect a three quarter shot, learning how to hit, um, you know, just, just easing off on it, not feeling like you got to swing all out all the time. Maybe sometimes you're going to learn how to, to swing a little bit harder to, to try and get it. If your number's just not quite there, but it just keeps you engaged. And it makes the game fun because you're learning how to be creative with your shot shapes and, and, you know, moving the ball around something else. If I'm going to get a little bit more granular, check your grips, make sure that they don't have a sheen or a shine to them. 
it grips are easy. Uh, you know, obviously, Floyd Cup is sponsored by Golf Pride, so go go check out some Golf Pride grips. But seriously, go go look at your handles and make sure that they still have some life in them, and that you're not playing rounds of golf with some really worn out grips. And the other one is to look at your wedges. There's the 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 fingernail test, which is a very easy one. If you can get your fingernail into the grooves of your wedges and you can pull and you can kind of feel your your fingernail catch on that groove, then you've still got life. But if you can't and your fingernail sliding down the grooves, you, the grooves are shot and you need to look for a new set because it becomes very frustrating if you're using wedges and you're actually improving your, your action through the ball and you're watching it skid off the green. And you're like, what the hell is going on? It just might be as simple as you just need to buy a new wedge. And wedges are, are relatively inexpensive in in relation to a lot of the other things that you're going to be buying. So consider that. Um, those would be those would be my suggestions. But but yeah, I think this is a really good a really good toolkit. And, I got one it, more. Yeah, go for it. Golf ball. Use the same golf ball. I don't care if you use oh, a sixty dollar. Yeah. I, yep. I I I actually thought of this is Chris talking and I completely forgot to mention it. But like, use the same golf ball. Whether again, whether it's a twenty dollar dozen golf ball. Or a sixty-five dollar. Well, know what golf the hell ball. you're using too. I, I feel yeah, like that's important. Like, like, don't just don't just play any golf ball. I, you know, you need to. At some point, you're going to need to get on a launch monitor and f- see what that ball is doing with your with your clubs. And if you need to to make some changes there, go to a higher spinning or a lower spinning golf ball. Or yeah, just yeah, don't, don't fly blind. If you're around the greens, or like say you got that hundred yard shot, and you're using a lower spin golf ball, it's like lower compression, and it's a two piece ball, and you're all of a sudden it's like, oh, I blew the green on that one, and then because maybe there was a shot over water, and you grab the cheaper golf ball in your bag or something like that, right? And then you go to the next hole, and you're like, oh, I have a hundred yard shot, but oh, I've got like you know, not really consciously thinking. It's like I got a premium golf ball; it's going to spin a little more. Next thing you know, you hit it, it spins more. You're using those fresh grooves, and you're five yards short. I'm telling you, it happens all the time and there's no consistency from that. I will change golf balls. I try and test a lot of golf balls, but whatever's in my bag is the same golf ball for like nine holes or a round of golf. I don't go back and forth. I'll bring those to the chipping green if I'm really curious, but just use the same golf. Again, I'm not judging you if you use an expensive or an inexpensive golf ball, but if you're using the same $25 dozen golf balls and you know that if I hit this chip shot with this pitching wedge it's and I hit it 50% 50% of the way to the hole, it's going to roll out the right way every time. That's way better. It's so much better than just trying to be like, oh, you know, I'm playing around golf at a really nice golf course today. I'm going to buy some nice golf balls. And all of a sudden, you're all screwed up because you're not used to using that and you use a $25 dozen for every other round of golf, right? So just do that from a field perspective, from everything else. Those little consistencies add up. And I think that's one way to look at it. That's just one of those things that players don't think about. But if you stick with whatever your favorite is, I don't care what it is, it's going to help you all down the line. I feel like it's all really good food for thought. It was certainly, I was saving this one towards the end because I assumed that we were going to get a lot of long-winded answers and we did. We'll try and tighten them up in future weeks, but that was a great question. I feel like it deserved all the airtime that I got. All right, coach. And I have feedback on golf ball. Oh, I know. I know he does. I, I've, I've got all kinds of things to say about golf ball. And especially we'll save it for another pod, Chris. We'll save right. it for another pod. Fair enough. I'll just put a quote there. Well, we're saving the best for last. Coach. Ever since I saw the uh, file name of this one, I've been very anxious to click play. <laughs> and uh, here we go. Divorce.mp3. Hey, Flea Clip Pod. Bob from SC. Love the podcast. Yeah, I've got a personal question for you, really. Um, I've spent about 
five grand in golf clubs this year. The wife told me I would be getting divorced for next in the mail if they kept coming. So my question is, did I get the Apex Pros or the T16? Huh? I'm in, I'm in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, man. Listen, these were all credit great. for the comedy skit. I like that. Was all, I love that. These are all great questions, but I'm really hoping that Bob from SC becomes a regular on, on the Floyd Cove hotline. A hundred percent. And I'd, I'd go Apex Pros. Just throwing that out there. Well, I was going to say the other ones. <laughs> See, there you go. See, there you go. Yeah. Go get fit. We, <laughs> your we, we did some, uh, for those that didn't know, to, to try and get it back on the rails just for a minute, we had Gene run the robot and hit all the new T-Series irons. And I will tell you that comparing the, the T-100S to the T-150s, it's not even a fair fight. T-150s are really good. And they're a lot closer to the T100s in terms of ball speed and forgiveness. So, yeah. I, Chris, Chris likes the Apex. I, I uh, T150s Apex is so good though. They're they're so good. But, I say it really kind of depends on what you're looking for. I mean, it, Apex yeah. gives you. Uh, we'll 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 get into it later. I I was just going to say, feel wise, consistency wise. But if you're looking for more distance, if I I, I could go down that rabbit hole a lot. I. Me personally, I I had better success for my game with Apex Pros. So I have a little bit of a bias to say Apex Pro over T150, at least from my personal experience testing it. Data, totally different story. There we go. Well, the reason why I saved that one for the end is I don't want Bob to get divorced. Kind of like to keep no, him around the podcast. Not. So I, I teased last week for those that listen that I was going to make it worth your while if you called in and left a voicemail. So Bob, I'm sending you a set of T150s. <gasps> okay, I retract my previous statement. T150s all day, <laughs> especially for Bob. Especially for and, Bob. And Bob can try them out. He's he's going to have to spend money for those Apex, but I can at least get him a set of T150s to try out. And then he can then he can do some head-to-head testing. I love that. Absolutely love that. So, all right, the the first round, I would say you guys can disagree though. I but I would pretty sure you agree with me. That was a wonderful first round of the Fluke of Hotline. Banger after banger. I loved it. And we'll be doing that again next week. We have a ton more questions that we need to get to. They're all great. Like I said, it was really tough to, to keep it to five this week. And maybe down the road, we just do a fully equipped hotline episode where we just answer, uh, you know, just voicemail after voicemail. But I think that's a good way to... a bonus episode. We could. We could do a bonus episode. I don't know if people would like that. They seem to they seem to like their once a week fully equipped, but we'll see. Maybe. I think that's a good place to end it for this week's fully equipped. That would be episode 205. As always, if you want more gear goodness, check us out on social channels. We are at fully underscore equipped on Twitter and at fully equipped golf on Instagram. Thanks as always for listening. Keep the voicemails coming.